0: Reading glasses. <laughs> I wish you got his, those of you sitting up front, I wish you would have seen the, the hands raised high among our elderly saints. I have joined the club. I have joined the club. There I go. Oh, well thank you, Dan, for that. I used to wear glasses, actually I still do at home. It's just uncomfortable times. Okay, so we'll see how this goes today, okay? So first Sunday, so we'll see how it goes. I wanted to uh, first and foremost welcome some of you uh, that are here for the first time. Um, It's always a joy for me when I get texts or emails from folks in our church saying, I'm bringing some friends with me to church. I want to continue to encourage you guys to do that, make this a space in which you could invite your family and friends and coworkers and neighbors to come and hear the gospel and be a part of what our church is about. So for those of you that are here for the first time, again, a warm welcome, we're so glad you're here. Um, Secondly, I also wanted to just briefly mention, again, just as a way of thank you, our staff has done an amazing job of cooling the space down on Sundays so we can come and worship somewhat comfortably. So can we give them a big, big, big hand as well? Thank you guys for doing that. Thank you so much for doing that. Thank you so much for doing that. So we're on this series, and we're continuing this series. And I've been doing some research in terms of stillness and silence and solitude, and I came across this interesting tidbit. Did you know that the quietest space room in the world, but the most recently, according to Guinness Book of World Records, does anybody know? Is the anechoic chamber, I think I said that right, in Orfield Laboratories in Minneapolis, Minnesota. This is a room that is made of one foot thick concrete walls and three foot thick fiberglass acoustic wedges. And it absorbs 99.9% of sound. The only thing you could hear in this space, check this out, is your heart pumping, your blood circulating, and your lungs breathing. Reminds me of Acts 17 when Paul says, in him we live and move and what? Have our being." The people that work there say, they warn folks who visit that more than 10-15 minutes, most of us are disoriented, there's a picture, because the silence is so deafening. And they ask that people in about 10-15 minutes, when you get disoriented by the silence, to sit because if you stand longer, you might literally faint from the silence. Michael Emerson, I'm thinking about visiting next time I go up to Minneapolis. The psalmists in the Old Testament didn't have these chambers to retreat to, so you know what they did? They retreated to God. There are all these metaphors the psalmists talk about in the psalms where they refer to God as my fortress in times of need. He is my what? What? Does anybody else shelter of the Most High? My favorite, my favorite of these is actually Psalm 32, 7, where it says, you are my, say it with me. Say it one more time. You are my what? Hiding place. You'll protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. Church, did you know that God is singing songs of deliverance all around you? at all times Zephaniah 317 the Lord your God is with you he'll take great delight in you in his love he'll no longer rebuke you but he'll rejoice over you with singing I want to tell you these songs of deliverance are strong enough to break any bondage to set free any addiction and to solve any problems that you may have. These songs of deliverance also are the reasons why, as it says in Isaiah, that no weapons formed against you, what, shall stand. Here's the question though. Are you quiet enough and still enough to hear these songs of deliverance that God is singing over you? Remember I said last week, his voice is love, his voice is wisdom, his voice is power, his voice is healing. But there's a part that we play, which is retreating to these places in which you're quiet enough to hear the voice of God, the same voice, by the way, that the Son of God heard in the baptism. Do you remember when the Father says over him, I love you, I'm pleased with you, I delight in you. Hey, can you hear the songs of your Heavenly Father? Remember, He speaks the loudest when we're the quietest, and I don't think God needs to speak louder than He actually is. It's that we need to listen a little better, listen a little closer. Are you listening? Can you hear? Sacred rhythms. Arranging our lives or church spiritual transformation through solitude silence stillness and eventually we'll talk about Sabbath Can I just hear something? I've been a pastor for like 25 8 years for those of you that have been ministry You know what I'm coming to realize? I'm coming to realize that spiritual transformation is a mystery Here's what I mean by that. There's nothing that I can do to make it happen Can I get an amen? The miracle of birth is a miracle every single time I'm coming to realize there's nothing that I could do to change you. There's nothing (laughs) That I could do to change myself. Can I get an amen? There's nothing we can do. It is the work of God Hallelujah. Thank you Jesus, but the part that we play though is that we need to create sacred spaces in which God can do his work the work that we play is to create sacred rhythms in the form of spiritual practices that enable the Spirit of God to do that which only He can do. So again, the work that only God can do, not one of us anything we can do, are we creating spaces in which we allow God the Spirit to do the work of transformation and formation In us. That's why we're talking about these things, because they're critical. And we began talking about solitude, the practice of being absent from people and things in order to attend to God, and silence, the practice of silencing every inner and outer voice to attend to God. Listen, at some point we got to stop talking about it and just do it. Can I get an amen? How many of you, don't raise your hand, have signed up for this solitude retreat? Let me tell you something. The catalyst, the, I can't exaggerate this enough. The catalyst for me on this journey that changed and transformed me was going away for an extended time. It was a day for me to enter into solitude and silence. If you have not signed up for this, August 1st, I implore you, I exhort you, I, I beg you, sign up. Sign up for this half-day retreat. It will be powerfully transformative for your soul. It is a practice of quieting every out and inner voice to attend to God. The first time I went into solitude and silence, it felt like spiritual inner turbulence. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? It felt like this. My soul felt like this. It wasn't a walk in the park. It felt like everything in me was coming apart because everything in me was coming apart. Do you know how loud my inner voice was? Two forms. One, inner voice that is constantly trying to solve, figure out, and manage things mentally. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? It is exhausting, it is exhausting, it is exhausting. And I'm coming to realize that the most critical spiritual insight that we need will not be discovered at the thinking level, but they will be heard at the listening level. And I needed space where I could just say to my mind, stop and rest. But I was also hearing The inner voice of condemnation and criticism. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Does anybody, is anybody familiar with the voice of self-talk, self-chatter, self-condemnation? Of course you are. It's the voice that your dad planted, your mom planted, your mentors planted, your professors planted by people who are not even around, and yet you still hear their voices in your head, don't you? Who would love you? Who would forgive you? Why would God use you? You're hopeless. There's no hope for that. These voices are so loud, are so deafening, that we can't hear the voice of our Heavenly Father. It wasn't just inner voice, though. There were the outer voices. I'm just going to say it. Some of us are on a journey that's making us less and less real and more and more phony. Why? Because we're living a lie. What do I mean? You're living a lie. Because your entire identity and significance and worth is wrapped up in what people say about you, what you do, and what you have. And when I entered into Silas Island's stillness, I came to grips with just the extent to which I was controlled by what people thought of me. I was controlled by what people were saying about me. Can i just say something and if this resonates with you say amen your worth and your value are eternal uncompromising they are settled once and for all by the cross of jesus christ and we do not negotiate our worth with anybody can i get an amen we don't but we try all the time so there i was inner turbulence (laughs) As Henry Nouwen says, the seductive powerful visitors pounding on the door of my heart, do something, be something, hear their voices. And I had to endure the disorientation and the turbulence until the calm and the stillness and the quiet came. I had to... Stay in my inner cell until the pounding of these voices eventually didn't go away, became a little bit dimmer, a little bit dimmer, a little bit dimmer. And that quiet, calm stillness is what freedom looks like. Freedom from bondage to human-approved affirmation. Freedom from bondage to performance and achieving and producing and fixing and solving. Freedom to live the way that God designed us to live. But you must, listen. You must endure the inner turbulence don't run. Don't run. Everything in you is going to want to run. Everything is going to want to run to friends and phone calls and text messages and emails and doing. Everything you is going to run. But to be free, you have to endure the inner turbulence and stay. Am I making any sense? How many of you are going through that inner turbulence right now? Yeah. Elijah is where we've been for eight weeks. 17 to 19. And we've been following Elijah because Elijah's life among other things, teaches us this pattern, the sacred rhythm, into the desert, out, into the desert, out, into the desert, out. Or as Henry Nowen so beautifully put it, solitude, then community, then ministry. Solitude, then community, then ministry. And Elijah wasn't extraordinary. He's just like you and me, James 5 says. And yet Elijah's life shows us this pattern that we've been following for these last several weeks, and today we're going to sort of round out a bit of a, bit of a, bit of a, uh, a marker, solitude, to silence and stillness, and then we're going to talk about Sabbath. First Kings 19, where I promise we'll be done today, yay, <laughs> we've been on it for a while. First Kings 19, we find Elijah, well let's go to the text, shall we? After one of the most impressive victories in all of the nation of Israel's history, at the height of his ministry, my glasses, Here's we find Elijah. I'm going to need this now since I need to actually look at my notes. Verse 19, chapter 19, verse 1. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, and now he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me. Oh, if ever be so severely by this time tomorrow, I don't make your life like one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. And he came to a broom brush, sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life because I'm no better than any of my ancestors. And he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, Elijah, come on, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. Angel of the Lord came back the second time and touched him and said, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. And strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. And we talked about how Elijah, is disillusioned, despair, so tired, exhausted, done with God, done with community, done with ministry. There's only enough energy to do one thing. What does he do with that one thing? He actually, instead of running from God and community, he does what? He runs to God. He runs hard after God. Just for the possibility, just possibility of meeting God and encountering God in his disillusionment. In verse 9, there he went into a cave where he spent the night. I haven't said this throughout the sermon series, but can I just sum up what solitude is? If you're taking notes, your longing for solitude is actually your longing for God. Your longing for solitude... It's actually a longing for God. Let me actually say it even stronger. The truest thing about you right now, this morning, 1049 on a Sunday, July 20th. Do you know that the truest thing about you is your desire for God? Colossians 1. We were created by Him and what? For Him. See, the enemy would like to have you believe that the truest thing about you, as you sit here today, is your woundedness. The enemy would love for you to believe that the truest thing about me today is my sinfulness. Or, as we hear these outer voices, the truest thing about you is what you do. Your identity is father, mother, husband, and wife. The truest thing about you is what our Enneagram type says. Good God, if I have one more conversation about Enneagram with somebody, can I get an amen? The truest thing about you its not your personality type, your gifts, or your enneagram. The truest thing about you, child of God, is the fact that you desire God. And when you long for God, You are tapping into the deepest longing of your heart. You're longing for more of God. You're longing for deeper levels of transformation. You're longing to be touched by God's love. That is the truest thing about you. And all of a sudden we come to realize the scary and yet freeing thing about solitude that is when you i come to solitude not only do we realize i am here because i'm longing for god but i am also realizing all the stuff that i look to and reach out to and grab to try and meet this longing for god that only god can meet in solitude and silence we come to grips with the fact That the noise, the activity, the performance, and the conversation, so much of it is the fact that we try so hard to meet this desire that God says, I put it there for me. Now, Here's the amazing thing, and if this blows you away, say amen, clap, wave, "do," do something. If there is even a hint of I need God and I desire God in my life, we are just simply responding to God who's already at work within us. First John 4. If we love God, it's what? Because He what? First loved us. If we seek God, it's because what? We're responding to a God who said, I came to what? Seek and save that which is lost. If we search for God, we are simply responding to what? A God who has been searching for us. Is this good news to anybody? Is this good news to anybody? Nothing in the spiritual life originates with us. It all originates with God. Hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. So if you're sitting here and you're not a Christian, if there's even a little bit of, I need God, I desire God, that's God who's been at work in your life. Somebody, One person, Kimmy, clap to that. That is amazing news. So you don't have to wonder, Peter, does this solid to silent thing work? Because by the time you get there, guess what? God's already there. Look at this. This is amazing. Verse 9 and the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing? What? What are you doing? What are you doing here? Here Elijah Gets just enough energy for the hope just the hope and possible meeting God But by the time Elijah gets there He recognized that God is already what? Here How amazing is that is that amazing to anybody that when we enter into silent solitude, we don't have to go. Are you there? Are you gonna be there? Can I, I? God's already going. What are you doing here? Oh. I mean, you've been there all along, God. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. Man, some of. How do you read that question? What are you doing here, Elijah? I know how some of us read it that came especially from, you know, churches that were all about do it for God, pull up yourself by the bootstraps. I, that, here's what you would hear in your inner voice, what are you doing here? Or oh, what are you doing here? Are you so weak? I about what happened to 1 Kings 18? I don't hear either of those. You know what I hear? I hear an invitation. Well, how do you know? Because whenever God asks you a question, it's never to get information, but it's to give information. Where are you, Adam? Genesis 3. You think God doesn't know where Adam is? Where are you? Why are you here, Elijah? The amazing thing about God is He invites Elijah to come to God. It's an invitation to come to God with all his junk. What do I mean? He invites Elijah to come to God with the good, the bad, and the ugly. And Elijah does. There's an amazing amount of self-disclosure that Elijah exhibits. Look at verse 10. He replied, I've been very zealous for you, Lord, The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets with a sword, and I'm the only one left. There's the good. I've been zealous for you, Lord. Anybody? Anybody here this morning saying, God, I've been so passionate and zealous for you. Anybody? The good. He brings that. Then he brings the bad too, which is a totally distorted perspective. Can anybody relate to a totally distorted perspective of God and life? Yes? Yes, of course you do. I'm the only one left. God goes, actually, there's like 7,000 people who've not bowed their knees to the idol. And then there's the ugly. Just take my life. I am done. Here's Elijah disillusioned distorted perspective faith at an all-time low so some of us go well you can't go to God and God goes actually come just as you are because I could handle it some of us have such enormous egos we actually believe that God can't handle the good and the bad and the ugly so we actually have to sanitize ourselves before we go to God what does God do what does God do God says, no, come with the good, the bad, and the ugly. Can I tell you what solitude, the silence is? It's simply being with God, with whatever is true, right there in that moment. Can I say it again? Actually, I know it's hot in here, so let's get hotter. Say this with me. Solitude is simply being with God, with whatever is true, right there. That's what solitude is. We don't just bring our presentable parts to God. We bring our whole selves to God. We bring good, bad, and the ugly. So if in that moment, the good is God, I've got much to celebrate. How many have much to celebrate these days? Yeah? Then we come to God with, with celebration of joy. God, thank you so much for that. Thank you so much. Hey, that's for prayers and the ways you're at work. But it also means we got with the, with the bad and with the ugly. That means sometimes we come to ba- come to God maybe grieving and mourning losses. How many of us are in that space? Sometimes we come to God, that means in our oh painful loneliness. Sometimes we come to God with uh, levels of anger and bitterness and resentment that we didn't even realize it was there. And sometimes we come, God, with these unanswered questions, God, that I've had for like weeks. A solitude is simply sacred space in which you and I come to God with whatever is true. And we sit with whatever is true, trusting that just as God met Elijah just as he was, that God would meet Elijah just as we are. And I've been saying this for a week, so I'm just going to say it one last time. If you get it, I pray you get it. If you don't, I'm going to keep saying it. The only way you, count, you and I would encounter the unconditional love of God, which is central to the gospel, is that we get into the practice of coming to God as we are. Because the moment we go, God, I'm going to sanitize, I'm going to clean myself, I'm going to do all these things, before I could come to God, it no longer becomes unconditional. It becomes conditional. Because it becomes conditions of, am I right? Am I right? Am I right? And if you're not a Christian here today, I just want to tell you something. And if you are a Christian, I hope you never get tired of hearing this. The centrality of the gospel says, God doesn't come to us and say, I need you to make yourself presentable before God, then God will accept you. The gospel says Jesus Christ did everything in his life, death, and resurrection to make us acceptable before God. And it is by placing our faith and trust in him that God accepts us as we are, then begins to work in us and make us more like him. Yeah, yeah, you could clap to that. So if you're not a Christian here today, maybe this is the day that you make the decision. God, maybe I need to surrender my life to you. Maybe this is the day I accept a gift of grace in my life. No longer try and earn it. And I don't know, if the Spirit prompts, I might give you an invitation to do that at the end of the service, to say yes to that. Verse 11, the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. The Hebrew literally says, did you know? Gentle whisper literally says the sound of sheer silence. The sound of sheer silence. Do you realize that God often comes to us in ways that we don't expect? The point of this passage is not that God doesn't come in the wind, earthquake, and the fire, because there are plenty of times in the Old Testament where God came through the wind, earthquake, and the fire. The point is, listen, the point is Elijah is expecting God to come in the wind, the earthquake, and the fire. He is expecting, and yet God comes in the sound of sheer silence. And in that sound of sheer silence, he encounters God and is transformed. Do you realize that you and I often miss God because He doesn't come to us in the way that we expect? And yet, do you realize that the most transformative moments in your life came because God came in the ways that you didn't expect? Let me ask you a couple of questions. How many of you, how many of us encounter God through failure and not through success? And yet we keep expecting God to come through success and not failure. How many of us encounter God through some difficulties and hard times, and not when things were going really, really well? Anybody? Anybody? Yeah, 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 yeah. How often does God come to us and what do you expect? So why is it that some of you guys are expecting God to come to an open door when God might be coming to you, hello, through a closed door? Why are you expecting God to come to you in comfort and convenience when maybe the thing that God wants to do to get you into his arms is through the desert? I just gotta ask, Is anybody sitting here this morning going, I am not right with God. And if I were to go, well, why could it be, could it be at the bottom of it is because I expected God to do X, Y, and Z and come in such a way. And then he just, and I'm just, and God might be going, I am coming to you, child again and again and again and again in ways that you are not expect. The larger principle is stop putting God in a box. I got a gift to a suit store called Indochino. Does anybody know Indochino? Okay, so it's a it's a men's t- suit store. Okay, so I got a gift for you know. Oh, well, y'all looking at me funny? And y'all like, who does that? Well, some people do. Okay, so I got a gift, and so I got went to go get a, a custom jacket made. Okay, do you know how long the appointment took? I thought, I thought, I'm a pretty small guy. It'll take like five minutes to measure, right? And we're boom, boom, bam, bam, I'm out of there, right? I'm out of there. Do you know how long the appointment took? An hour. Do you know why? The measurement didn't take very long. The measurement actually took about 10 minutes. You're this height, you know, you're, you're, I think you're about 5'11", and you're about hundred, you know. That was for my wife, who was convinced that I'm 5'8". After the 10 minutes appointment, the consultant came, he said that, he's like, have a seat, Mr. Hong. Uh, so let's talk about your jacket. Uh, so, what kind of lapel would you like? I don't know. A, a lapel looking lapel? No, 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 no. Catalog. Here are five different styles of paddle, uh, uh, lapels, going from this narrow to that narrow to that narrow to that narrow to that narrow. Oh, good. OK. Uh, the, the middle one? OK. Now let's talk about buttons. What kind of buttons would you like? What kind of buttons would I like? Uh, okay, catalog. 30 different kinds of buttons. Different shapes, different colors, different holes. Next, <laughs> would, you, would you like to backflap cut two ways or one ways? One is European, the other is American. And it went on and on and on. As I'm sitting there, as a preacher is wont to do, and I started thinking maybe we do this with God. In a culture where we customize everything from suits to drinks, Starbucks has 20,000 permutations in terms of drinks, to cars, to playlists. Why buy an entire album? I only want those two songs even babies these days, we are customizing everything to suit our needs and our preferences. Church, a little uncomfortable right here, maybe we do that with God. Maybe we customize God to fit our needs, and the product is a God who walks and talks a lot like us. And instead of having God create us in His image, maybe some of us create God in our image. To which you go, well, what's wrong with that? I'll tell you what's wrong with that. It may get rid of some problems, but that God that you created and customized to fit your needs, listen please, will not heal you of your addictions, will not set you from your bondage, will not be able to transform you, and that God will not overcome the inner voices of condemnation. Oh, some of you are tracking with me. Some of you are tracking with me. Listen carefully, that God that you created to suit your needs might be a comfortable God, but that God will not transform you. Look what 1 John 4 says. This is one of my, three says, favorite passages. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. How many of our hearts are restless? How many of our hearts are restless? Are rest in presence? Verse 20, whenever our hearts condemn us, for God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. The only God that can can overcome the condemnations of your heart has to be a God who is greater than your heart. The only one that can silence the voices of, you're worthless, you're condemned, you're a judge, is a God with enough authority to be able to say to that heart, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus and nothing will be able to separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Can I get an amen? If your God is a product of your heart that you customize, how does that God overcome condemnations of your heart the deepest needs of our hearts i've been saying this for years is a god who is not the product of our hearts i love c.s Lewis's language the an untamed god is he safe no of course he isn't safe but he's good i tell you he's the king i don't care how long you've been coming to church and how well you think you know the bible Your heart will not be transformed until you see God as he is. Verse 13, when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face, which is a sign of absolute reverence. He realizes, man, God is here. God is here, and he went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. What happened to Elijah? I if you illustrate this for you, Elijah is, is in, the, in the cave, earthquake, wind, fire come, rattle, break, shatter the rocks before him, and then the sound of sheer silence, and Elijah goes out, and he realizes, I am in the thick presence of God. and his willingness to come before God, raw, open, and receptive. He lies that finds himself and the think, And he, that the only thing that you should do if you find yourself in the presence of God, which is what? Do nothing and just let the presence of God just wash over you. Can I get an amen? Just, just, just wash over you. 1 John 3. Look at that. Look at that. Look at that. I found that picture. Look at that. Do you know why I love that? Do you know why I love that? Because First John 3 says what? Oh, behold, what love, what great love the Father has lavished Unto us children of God for that is what we are and the image that I have of Elijah and The image that I want to see myself is when I find myself in the presence of God It's like standing under a ginormous waterfall Waterfall of God's love, God's goodness, God's kindness and the only thing I can do is to stand there and let it wash over me Wash over me, wash over me, wash over me, wash over me <sighs> Anybody hungry for this? Anybody longing for more of this? Elijah just stands there. Elijah just stands there. He just, he just lets the presence of God in sheer silence just, just wave, after wave, just watch over him. And don't miss this. He comes to know experientially, not just here, and dare I say viscerally, viscerally, that God is for him, that God is with him. And that God loves him. And do you know what he comes to know? He comes to know something that you and I, I think, often miss. The English language is so limited when we talk about the word to know. But in Hebrew, in even the original language is Hebrew and Greek, the word to know is not informational cognitive, to know via, via, via you know, figure and stuff out. Infra- to know in Hebrew and Greek literally entails the coming together of subject with the object, it entails a full participation in whatever the truth or reality is being known. You know what it's like to know in the Bible? It's like when you read about someone famous and then you actually meet them and might even become intimate friends with them. It's the difference between saying to your spouse, I love you, honey, and making love. It's the difference between Saying to someone, "I trust you," and actually entrusting that person with something that's important to you—it's full participation in the reality, the truth that's being explored. This is the reason why the Bible doesn't say things like, "I want you to know God." It His "What? Taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste it. Taste. Don't just know it. Taste it." Taste. First Peter. You have tasted the kindness of the Lord. I don't care if you know how the Lord is good though is kind. The Bible says, taste it, experience it, be melted by it, and see it. How many of you know God's love and goodness and kindness that way? I taste it. I experience it. It, it is. It is. It is not about cognitive information. God. God. I. 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 It tasted it, and seen it, and I've been melted by it. And it is so real to my heart that it is propelling everything that I do. Here's the challenge. The challenge is. For some of us, not all of us. We literally need to create an entire category. A Paradigm shift of major proportions of how it is that we come to taste and see and know God. I grew up in a church culture where the way that I encountered God was through sermons. Can I hear sermons? Yay, people. <laughs> so for me, the way I encounter God is I listened to a sermon and my heart was like, oh yes. Oh, insight. Oh, revelation. Oh, or Bible study. Let me be really clear. I am an evangelical Christian. I'm not afraid to say that. It's simple. I'm not going to go into that. I love the Word of God, and it is my authority in all that I do. Can I get an amen? I love it. I can't get enough of it. And Bible and the Word of God is the foremost authority in my life. Having said that, some of us put it to the extent of being an idol. We literally go, if it doesn't come to me via sermon, it's not God. Second way is I came from also a charismatic tradition, and the way that I, oh, God is here, was through supernatural, miraculous healing, speaking in tongues, prophecy. And another way, I was a worship leader for nine years. Did y'all know that? Of course you didn't, because we have amazing worship leaders in our church. And the way that I encountered God was through, oh, I feel feel his presence. It is hot in here, and it might be the heat, but I think it's God. I think it's the Holy Spirit. It is thick with his... When is the last time you expected to encounter God in silence? when is the last time God comes in sermons worship miraculous I am a thousand percent on board and we need to do those and more often but when is the last time you entered silence with hopeful expectancy not mild ambivalence hopeful expectancy of God you are gonna come in this silence even more powerful than anything that Peter might be able to say You see where we're going with this? We're talking about a paradigm shift of major proportions for some of us to trust and believe that God could come in sheer silence. Almost done. Verse 13. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here Elijah? You know, I love how the Bible sometimes like repeats itself over and over again. So I don't actually mind the fact that I am a repetitive preacher. Anyway, so verse 14, he replied, I've been zealous for the Lord God Almighty. Israel has rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Translation, Lord, if you lose any more prophets, you're going to be out of business. The Lord said to him, go back to the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Syria, anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel, Melocha, to succeed you as prophet. What is God doing? God is giving Elijah guidance about what he is to do next. Can I just say this? Solitude and silence is not just for us but it is so that we will be equipped, rested, reoriented, recalibrated for the ministry that God has for us. It's never for us. God says, I've got some things for you to do still, Elijah, but now I want you to do it as an overflow, not to prove yourself, not to find significance, no, as an overflow. You know, I just, one real quick thought, and then we're gonna move on. I I, I realize we live in a culture where everybody has something to say, but very little of it is worth listening to, including us Christians. So I'm just thinking, maybe the best way for the world to get to listen to us is for us to do more of listening to God, because then I think we might have something worthwhile to say. Can I get an amen? Amen. Can I get an amen? So before you post something on Twitter and Facebook, before you think into the cyber world because it's so worth hearing, maybe, just maybe, pause and go, is this from God? And is it worth hearing? So I don't add to the noise pollution. Can I get an amen? Yeah. Verse 17. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bound to Baal, and whose mouths have not kissed him. In solitude, we get what Elijah gets, which is perspective. Can I get an amen for perspective? Elijah's like, Jezebel and Ahab, if you'll just get rid of them, and God's going, Elijah, how small is your God? i'm the only one left elijah 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 and in silence and solitude the air clears and we get perspective hello anybody first of all i get perspective i get perspective i get listen i get perspective that regardless of who is in the white house god sits on the throne Okay, I thought I was going to get a bigger, bigger, regardless of who says what, I believe that God sits on the throne. He is in charge of history. He is in charge of the universe. That doesn't mean we sit still and do nothing. It means that we do work empowered by this truth. So we don't just survive in ministry. We thrive in ministry. And God's going. You're not the only one left. You're not doing the work. I've been doing fine just before you came along. That was for me, by the way. Preaching to myself this morning. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. Amen, all by myself. Okay. Verse 19. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha son of Shaphat. He was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen. And he himself was driving the tall pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elijah then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. How many of you guys, how many of you, I need you to participate, have some decisions you need to make in the, in the, in the near future? Raise your hand high, raise your hand high. How many of you, come on, come on, come on, part of, How many of you have some discernment kinds of things that you need to, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know what's amazing about this, you can put your hand in Do you know what's amazing about this passage is that, in nowhere here does Elijah actually say to God, God, I need direction. And yet, guidance comes. Nowhere in this does Elijah do what you and I do. God, show me where, God, show me what I need. Elijah simply finds himself in the presence of God where he experiences God's love to know it, and God's guidance simply comes. And the order is important. In the presence of God, experience God's love, know God's love for me, and guidance. When I was away for 10 months, found and came across something called the prayer of indifference by St. Ignatius. And first I thought, well, who wants to pray that? Because I think indifferent, I think negative, apathy, I know what it's like to be indifferent. That's not what this is. St. Ignatius says the prayer of indifference is not apathy, indifference. Prayer of indifference is, listen, I am indifferent to anything but God's will. Prayer of indifference is God, I let go of all my desire for how I want to see this done. Prayer of indifference is a posture that says, your will be done, not mine. It's the prayer of Mary in Luke 1, isn't it? A teenage girl prays the most powerful prayer where she says what? Here I am, I am your servant. Let it be with me according to your word. You want to hear from God? Please listen. If you want to hear from God, prayer of indifference might be the very thing God is calling you to do. God about my future, where I want to work, where I want to live, who I want to marry, what I want to do, my degree, God says, get to a place where You can say, I am indifferent to anything but your will. I am letting go of any attachments to any outcome that I want to see. Letting go. But in order for you to do that, please listen. You need to know in the depth of your heart that God is for you, that God is with you. That the thing that the son heard in baptism is the thing that God is speaking over you. I love you. I am for you. Because when we are able to hear that voice, we are able to let go of our agenda, our priorities, our desires, and simply say, God, let it be according to your word. Prayer of indifference. I'm surprised that I've yet had anybody come up and ask me. Peter, I have a question. Didn't people in the Old Testament, like, die in God's presence? I know we live on the other side of the cross. So you and I, here in your presence. And Moses and Elijah are going, are you kidding me? What? What? Holy of Holies, like one dude, once a year, was allowed to go in there. And all of y'all come willingly in your shorts and summer shirt and Hawaiian shirts are going here in your presence, I am. You ever wonder, how come nobody's come up to me? and said, Peter, how is it that we can, as you say, come to God as we are? I mean, what? With the good and the bad and the ugly, didn't people get, yeah, do you know why it is that you and I could come to God as we are? Oh man, do you know? That the wind, the earthquake, and the fire were tokens of God's judgment in the Old Testament? Did you know? I'm almost done. Wind, but I need to talk about Jesus. The wind, the fire. Listen, listen. Look at these verses. I'm going to be quick. Proverbs 29. He who troubles his own house will inherit the land. I will inherit the wind. Which means if he caused trouble, judgment is coming, consequences are coming. Luke 954. When James and John saw this, that is a Samaritan village who rejected their message, what did they say as good Jews? <laughs> they said to Jesus, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven and burn them up? They're so secret sensitive. Matthew 27, 31, at that moment, that is when Jesus breathed his last, the veil of the temple was torn in two, from top to bottom, and the earthquake and the rocks were split, earth, wind, fire, tokens of God's judgment. How did Elijah survive the wind, the fire, and the wind to center and enter God's presence? Do you remember how? Go back to the Bible, verse 11. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. Where is Elijah when the wind, the fire, and the earthquake comes? Where is Elijah? He is hiding in the what? Cave. Literally, some translations have the cleft of the rock. By the way, some people believe that this is the same cleft that Moses hid in Exodus 33 when God says, My glory passes by. How does Elijah survive the wind the earthquake and the fire? He is being shielded He is being hidden by the rock if you are new community and hopefully I've trained you well Who is the rock that shields Elijah from the earthquake wind and the fire his name is what oh? Man Can you just say Jesus without your heart wanting to? Because look at what Paul says. Kevin, come on up, please. 1 Corinthians 10, 14. And they all drank the same spiritual rock, for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was what? I'm going to amen all by myself. Jesus Christ, the rock that took the earthquake and the wind and the fire. Jesus Christ, the rock, my hiding place that hides me from God's judgment so I can come in my shorts and t-shirt and say, I am in your presence. Wow you guys, wow, wow. Jesus Himself says, I didn't come to bring judgment, I came to what? Their judgment. Do you know why? I'm getting emotional. Do you know why you and I can come into his presence? Because God says, what? By my transgressions, by your trans- by our transgressions. By his stripes we are healed. The wounds, the wounds that punished. Him is the very thing that brought us peace. Don't you understand? Jesus was torn so that we could be made whole. Jesus endured the wind of God's judgment so that we could hear the gentle whisper. That's why the author of Hebrews says, we have a high priest who has entered heaven. So let us enter his throne room with confidence. For there we will find mercy and grace in time of need. Quit hiding from God. Hide yourself in God. There are some of you in here who've never made a decisive, and it sounds repetitive, but a decisive decision to say, I surrender and I follow. And today is the day. All along, you've been coming here collecting the dots. Maybe today is the day that you connect the dots. I'm not going to ask you to do anything like raise your hand or stand up or come front. I am simply going to ask that in your heart, right where you're seated, if God has been speaking to you and He's saying, I love you, I died for you, I rose again for you, I am for you. In your heart of hearts, it's a simple act of surrender that's lived out in our lifetime, but it begins at the moment of saying, I no longer want to be in charge and control of my life, I want to give it to you. In this moment as we pray, simply say that prayer to God. You took the wind and the earthquake and the fire, the judgment and the condemnation that I deserve so that I can know you. That's gospel truth. Say, I wanna know you. I surrender my life to you. I'm done living life my way. Help me. The next challenge is for those of you, and and I'm gonna simply ask, pastoral staff, Susie, Ruth, and Constance, Ladies, if you guys could maybe stand up here like we did last Sunday, by the cross, near sort of cross. I'm telling you right now, some of you, your hearts are like wanting to burst because of the reasons, the following reason. Number one, it's been so long that you have longed for God. It's been so long, your soul feels so dry. Your feel, your soul, the last time you experienced encounter presence of God, you can't remember. And you came in here, and this morning, you feeling this faint desire that says, I need more of you, I need more of you, I need more of you. Then there's some of you who have discernment decisions to make about where to go, what to do, so on and so forth. And guidance has not been coming. And maybe it's because you have not gone to the posture of saying, God, I'm indifferent to anything, anything but your will. And you need some help in praying that with somebody. I'm trying to train us, church, to be better at this. So in the middle of this song, you don't have to wait until it's over. In the middle of this song, as the worship team leads us, and this God is here, familiar tune. If you know it, just close your eyes and just say, I wanna just, I just wanna invite you. Hey, come up for prayer. Come up for prayer. Okay, these folks up here love you. They wanna hold you. They wanna pray for you. They wanna pray with you. Just come up. Just come right up, right up. Need healing? Come right up, come on. Okay, just come right up. Come right up as we're saying this song. And please, please, please don't walk out of here. If you walked in, you're saying, I I just want some prayer. I just need some prayer. So, Jamie, please lead us and remind us this truth. We don't have to ask. We don't have to beg. We don't have to manipulate. Thank you.